My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. Today, I have someone who has some super interestingly focused information to share with everybody. I have Sharon Wong, the founder of Nut Free Walk, which is a blog about allergy-aware Asian fare. And she's a poet and probably knows it, right? So I'm so excited to have you here today. We were talking a little bit, you know, pre-show that for me, having a nut allergy... Asian food has been something that I've really been missing since I developed my nut allergy. I think I was, what, 32 or 33 when nuts showed up for me. So it's been a decade since I've really kind of been able to dive in comfortably into Asian food. So I'm so excited to have you because I really, really, really want to talk about this and see if that's really just kind of a crazy person thought in my mind or if this is a reasonable thing to be concerned about. Hi, Shandy. It's so wonderful to join you. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here with you talking about Asian food and how to manage food allergies. Yeah. So you are a food allergy mom of two. Correct. Right. Yeah. And both, both kids have food allergies. We do. And actually, they have very different stories. So my younger son was like very allergic, even as a little baby. And uh, it took us a couple of years to get his diagnosis because back then doctors didn't, you know, wasn't on their mind as much. Oh, and, still now. Uh, I don't know that there's a back then and now. <laughs> right. And then for my older son, he was diagnosed later, like when he was in middle school. But I think he had it, but we didn't realize he had symptoms until my son, um, until he, you know, was more exposed to other people and other allergens and things like that. Yeah, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Until you get the right doctor, and you don't yeah. know you don't have the right doctor until you have the right doctor. Right. It's, right. it's incredibly frustrating how much misinformation there is out there, and not just, you know, in social media land, but in medicine land as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that they would, um, you know, like, I don't think it's intentional, but I think it just depends on their training. Unfortunately, I've read that, um, you know, the, the doctors and their training, they don't get that much exposure to allergy unless they pursue unless that. Unless they go after it. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't so, agree with you more. And, and the, the differential between environmental and food allergies yeah. There's a lot of environmental allergists who will kind of throw stuff out about food allergies to people and not really have a focus on it. And I, I think that there's a lot of moms out there that, um, you know, kind of suffer from misinformation, if you will, and, and it causes a lot of anxiety in their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, frustrating. You know, it definitely does cause anxiety. I mean, my younger son um, is 17 now, and... Um, his pediatrician's retiring. So we, we're trying to decide, do we go for another pediatrician or do we just transition him into like family practice or internal medicine? And, and I'm like, I'm still, I, remember, I was surprised when I told him, okay, if you go to this particular clinic, you need to stay away from Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so because they were terrible. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm still bitter. Yeah. <laughs> still better after all these years but oh well yeah my older one's 11 and there's one of the doctors that his pediatrician that I'm like every time I call I'm like we won't see this person mm-hmm. and I mean it's based on you know one of those middle of the night phone calls from a decade ago right, <laughs> I still right. won't see her right because right. the trust is broken totally mm-hmm. so your background's in education yes your yes. degree is in that. biology molecular biology yes yes I was a major. You've got a whole bunch of stuff going on, and 
you became a mom, food allergy kids. What drove you with said background? Tell me the story of starting uh, Nut Free Walk. Okay. Well, you know, when my kids were babies, I'm like, oh, I have all these really weird uh, unrelated skills. And, um, you know, I was a molecular biology major. I studied education. And then I became the computer specialist at our school district or, or at our school. And, um, you know, I helped with like uh, setting up the internet for our school and things like that. Right. That was way back then. And I'm like, what do I do with these, all these skills? And um, so uh, when my kids were uh, maybe in the elementary school, I went to uh, a conference and people were like, oh, Sharon, you know, what do you do? Like, how do you cook Asian foods? And, um, you know, and manage food allergies. And then I realized that there was a need for that kind of information. How do Asian people manage their food allergies and eat Asian foods? safely. And so that's how I came up with the theme, Allergy Aware Asian Fair. And And I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there is an incredible need. Your dad was a cook in the army. Yes. Did he inspire a love of cooking in you or has the cook in you, you know, kind of formed out of necessity? Uh, Both. You know, my dad, um, my mom and dad are very different in their cooking styles. My mom is super traditional. And, um, you know, she grew up in a huge family and her father uh, had a business and, you know, all the employees ate with him. So my grandmother and her and our family was used to cooking for like 30 people every day. You know, that's huge. Right. And um, so my mom's super traditional. My dad, however, was more of uh, like what we'd call fusion now because of his experience of cooking in the U.S. Army. He he cooked uh, American style food and he cooked Chinese food, but he also like kind of mixed up the, the two cultures and the two types of techniques together. And so um, he, um, so I'm influenced by both of them. And so I, I try, you know, I try to cook traditional Chinese food and I also feel free to like mix it all up and so if I could, I would probably um, cook Chinese Italian style food. Talk to me about that. What does Chinese Italian style food look like? Well, um, maybe like using uh, some Chinese ingredients and cooking it Italian style. I did see, by the way, on your on your blog, a pasta with tomatoes and brie. And I was like, yeah, one of these is not like the other. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, but see, that's the part of me that just, I mean, I really love Italian food. So, What's so part of me like really wants to eat that, but then, um, so then I might prepare it in like a Chinese style, you know, like take the Italian ingredients, cook it Chinese style, or take the, the Chinese ingredients and cook it Italian styles. Like, you know, there's like, um, what's the, what is it called? The, um, the trilogy, you know, the, celery, carrots, and onions. Ah, mirepoix. Yes, mirepoix. I do that all the time with my Chinese cooking. <laughs> you know, things like that. Well, I mean, it kind of creates a base for all the things, right? I don't think right, that that's right. one per- Maybe it's French, right? Yeah, Italian, maybe. Yeah, it starts, yeah. It starts right. everything. Yes, that's right. That's right. You're probably right that it is French. But, you know, those those different kinds of techniques, I don't see why it has... We, 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 traditional things are traditional, and then there are things that are just more of... 
you know, you, you use what you have in your environment, you use what you have in your culture, wherever you happen to be living and incorporate it into, you know, your favorite meals or favorite diet or whatever it is that you're making. And, and the same thing with, you know, even like for my parents who were immigrants, they had to uh, come to the United States and make do with the ingredients that were here in the United States and not be able to access the ingredients that they would use in the traditional Chinese food, right? And so they would have to adapt too, or they can go to Chinatown to get some of it, but maybe not all the time, or maybe right. it wasn't that accessible, right? So, and then the thing is that or very expensive. Do the same thing, right? Because we are making do without certain foods. And so we just have to adapt. And so, you know, I think that um, uh, once we know what is the traditional way, what is this, you know, like this is Asian food or this is Chinese food or this is Japanese food. Then once we know the basics and we can totally adapt it to suit our needs. And so I want people to feel free to be able to eat what they love, eat what they want to eat and still be able to be safe and to, um, to enjoy their food. I love that. And it's exactly the home version of why Star was created, right? So right. We, we have that very same philosophy, but obviously not as well, uh, not as eloquently stated, um, and on the restaurant side. So mm-hmm. do, you, do you really try and create kind of all of the recipes that are on your blog? Because there are a ton of things out there. You have been quite prolific in, in recipe creation. Um, you know, there are certain things that are um, based on like traditional techniques. And then I just keep, con- you know, changing the permutations and changing like the combinations like, so like for stir fry, right? Stir fry, there's like a real basic formula to making a stir fry. So you take your meat, you add your seasoning like soy sauce, cornstarch, you know, whatever it is that you like, garlic, ginger, salt, and pepper whatever, salt, sugar, whatever you need to marinate it. Then you take your vegetables and you cut them up and you have them all ready. And then the the next step is you cook the meat, take it out, and then you hit the meat like 50%, take it out. You cook your vegetables, cook your hard vegetables first. Then you add your soft vegetables. Then you add your meat back in. Then you add your sauce back in and then voila. You know, you have a stir fry dish, right? But so any of those pieces can kind of get changed out for other things along the way. Exactly. You can do for your meat, you can do beef or chicken or shrimp or seafood or whatever it is that can be stir fried. And then for your vegetables, you can pick your seasonal vegetables. And then you can always do like different sauces. You can do like a black bean sauce, you can do a brown sauce, you can do a sweet and sour sauce, you can do, you know, any kind of sauce. It's like choose your own adventure of stir fry. That's right. (laughs) Have there been, as you've gone through and created all these recipes, and you've got everything in a bag of chips, so you've got main dishes, you've got desserts, dim sum, you've got a whole vegetarian section, side dishes. What are the most major fails that you have had that haven't made it onto the blog, but as you've been experimenting along the way? Well, okay, this is really funny and very timely. So I love to make pho. I love to make Vietnamese pho. I like to eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've so <laughs> never tried to make it, but yeah, it is so good. And you know, you could do like a super basic thing. Like you can cook, like you can get a box of beef broth and you cook it with the uh, spices, and then you can add your noodles and your, you know, cooked meat or raw meat or whatever it is that you like in it. You could do that, but I kind of like the. Um, like the make it from the bones and get the, all the benefits of the bone broth, 
and the protein and the collagen and things like that. Cause you know, I'm an old lady. And so I have all these achy breakies and I totally want to have the benefits of the bone broth. Right. And, um, the listeners so can't see you, but I can tell them she is not an old lady. <laughs> oh, so uh, thank you. So anyways, I've been trying to order ingredients, um, to make pho. And, you know, like, okay, let's, let's try oxtail. Everybody has oxtail, right? So I've tried ordering oxtail. I have received a ribeye steak. <laughs> I have received bare bones and I have received short ribs and I've received Franken ribs and anything but oxtail. I'm like, oh gosh, I can't meet. <laughs> an oxtail is not from an ox. Oxtail is like a particular spot on a cow, right? Right, right. It's a tail. It's literally its tail. And it's like really delicious. It has bones on it. And it has a lot of meat on it. It has a lot of fat and collagen. It has a lot of flavor, right? And I figured that's an ingredient that everybody can get. But there's other specialty parts that you can get, but it's a little harder. But I want to try and make it easy for people. I'm like, okay, maybe this is not going to be so easy for people to get. Maybe I have to save this for after the pandemic. <laughs> right on. That, I think that would be delicious. And I think that it probably wouldn't work out very well from some of the other cuts of beef to get the same flavor in your beef breath. Right. right. We, were, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, in the, in the pre-show parts that nobody else gets to listen to <clears throat> about restaurants. Yes. So as somebody who has nut allergies, so mm -hmm. I have, I, I am peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, and pork. Mm -hmm. Given the use of nuts in a lot of Asian cuisine and the use of nut oils, which I know don't come at me about nut oils, you know, anybody who's listening, I will not eat them no, no matter what you say. Nuts, nut oils, and the, and the continuous walk usage in some of the restaurants. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to stay away particularly when it's not kind of chain land, right? Like I won't necessarily stay away from, you know, a P.F. Chang's or something like that. But, you know, for, for an individual restaurant, which I would rather support, right? I, I, for some reason, kind of have this block in my head that it's not necessarily going to be a safe experience for me. Am I crazy? Or, you know, is this something that's a too broad of a brush that I've painted in my own head? I think that it depends on, I think it's good to be careful. Right. We definitely Obviously, have to yeah. be aware of the potential risks so that we can ask the right questions. And um, uh, so I live in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, every restaurant I go into, I will ask them, do you use peanut oil? And if they don't use peanut oil, then we stay and ask more questions. If they do use peanut oil, then, you know, it's, it's game changer. No. Yeah, totally agree so with you. Because it's in every single ingredient, right? It's going to be in every single dish. So, no, we're not going to go to a restaurant with the peanut oil. And so it's very, actually very uncommon in the Bay Area because it's expensive. And so oh, they don't use it. They use cottonseed oil or soy oil. Um, but I Which think if you have a soy allergy, presents a different problem. Yeah. But for those of us with peanut, maybe it opens That's up right. a breadth That's of right. other things. Okay. Or vegetable oil or whatever. But most often they use cottonseed oil because it has a high smoke point, just like peanut oil. And, um, and then I think that um, there are some places that get it better than others. So, <coughs> you know, in the Bay Area, we have like, like thousands of Asian restaurants. We probably can go to like 10 at most. So, you know, the, so 
the way I narrow it down is I just call them. I call them and I talk to them. And if there's somebody there that can communicate really well with me, then it's just that much easier to get your questions answered if they're like they have and then I go look on Yelp or like some other restaurant review like you know there's allergy eats and but there's not enough reviews there so I go to someplace like Yelp and then in the search bar you can search for keywords so I search for things like nut allergy or allergy or food allergy and to see you know, what do people with food allergies have to say about this place? Or like sometimes someone might not have food allergy, but they might say something like, oh, I took my sister who has a food allergy to this restaurant and they had a good experience. And so um, uh, so those are some of the things I look for. And uh, as an allergy mom, since I don't have food allergies, I would go and have lunch with like I'd meet a girlfriend there or I'd take my mom at a restaurant that I have already screened. I've looked at their menu. It looks pretty good. Then I go and I eat with my friend or my mom. And then I, I ask questions. I check it out. Is it clean? I'd like to bring because- my family back here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a conversation like my kids have food allergies, you know, what do you recommend? What should we avoid? Because actually, when I tell them, like, we have food allergies, and I ask them, what should we avoid? That actually tells me which dishes have peanuts and yeah. tree nuts. And then like, if it's like a stir fry dish, then I know that there's going to be some risk for the stir fry. So, uh, or if they use peanut oil, then you know that there's that's a big red flag. And um but if they say, oh, don't worry, we will clean the block for you. We will, you know, we'll make it from, you know, the sauces are going to be separated or whatever. They have some sort of protocol, then that's good. And um, sometimes uh, I have gone, to, I know of at least a handful of restaurants that have uh, owners and workers that have food allergies themselves or they have it in their family. And they're like, don't worry, we got to. You know, yeah, and they take nervous. I think I had the best, my best reaction from a server at a breakfast place. And, you know, I have a pork allergy and breakfast places in pork are a little right. bit too, yeah. too involved, right? right? They're like, you know, two together. Um, and the, this particular server was amazing. You know, I said, oh, we have to have a food allergy conversation. And I'm always a little bit kind of humor, humorously apologetic about it because mm-hmm. I want them to like me and keep me safe, right. Right? right? And I said, okay, we have, to, we have to talk about this. I have a pork allergy. And she goes, and? And I was like, that is the best reaction ever, <laughs> right. right? Like it, there was no disingenuousness in it. There was no like over promise it was just kind of like and water is wet that's great like this is what we do you know so it was it was a really good reaction so you mentioned um you mentioned having some strategies to navigate kind of unfamiliar territory in restaurants right so let's say you're going to a restaurant that you know you don't know all the techniques that they're using and you're not familiar with all the ingredients that they would necessarily use which are both pieces of knowledge that would normally drive our questions as we go into a place so if it's an unfamiliar cuisine for you, how do you mm-hmm. figure out if they can keep your kiddos safe? Uh, well, one thing that I found really helpful is, uh, okay, so in my experience, I say I am not familiar with um, Indian food, unfortunately, right? And uh, we just bas- basically have like Indian buffet restaurants around here. So we go in and points is like, you get like, oh, that looks good. I'm going to get a scoop, right? So that doesn't really work for someone yeah. with food allergies. Buffets are the worst. Yeah, 
And so, and by the well, way, it's yeah. not for anybody who's going to yell at me about that. Buffets aren't the worst because of the buffet. Buffets yes. are the worst because the people at the buffet, they'll use, like, they'll keep that spoon like it is their own spoon and they will go down the line and contaminate right. everything. It's, it's the consumers, not the restaurant. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's just the potential for cross-contact is really great. Right. Um, so what I found that's really helpful when I'm trying to tackle a new type of cuisine is actually I would go to the library and I would check out a couple of cookbooks for that particular cuisine. Oh, that's interesting. And I would read through it. And I'm like, okay, let's see which, re which recipes uh, use what kinds of ingredients. And then I would take notes and I would like write down, okay, this dish has like pine nuts, this dish has walnuts and this dish is you know uh uses milk or whatever it is that you know i'm concerned about and then i keep i have a list so then i know this is how <clears throat> these restaurants would normally prepare then i have an idea of like okay what kinds of dishes to avoid and um and then knowing whether it's like created in its own pot or a shared pot <clears throat> or steamed or baked mm -hmm. you know you have a lot more information you can ask right yeah, and this is this is exactly why I have a tendency to go towards Italian or Mexican because there's things on the menu that are kind of in every restaurant created right. in their own little dish, if you will, right? They're not right. lasagnas and its own little witchma thingy. Enchiladas are in their own little witchma thingy, right? right? You know, kind of everywhere. And so there's always something that you can go to, even if the conversation is not going well. Right. Not all right. of us have the same type of culinary background that you do. Right. Right. <laughs> You've got right. an unfair advantage here. Oh, right. Well, whatever I don't know, I actually read a lot. Yeah, the next it seems that is way. I actually go to the website and I look at the menu and I cross-reference to my list. And then I call them. And then my last thing to do is I would actually um, bring a friend. Bringing a friend that is familiar with the cuisine is actually super helpful if it's like your first time or somebody who can yeah. talk to the restaurant owners uh, in their language. You know, if you want to go eat Korean food, you bring a Korean friend. If you want to eat, you know, Japanese food, you can bring a Japanese friend. If it's like, you know, if they're mostly speaking that language, but most of the time there's somebody there that can talk to you very well and uh, who knows what they're doing. So I think it's possible, but, but you can't, we as food allergy consumers and diners cannot just walk into a restaurant because, oh, it smelled so good while I was walking down the street. We can't do that, right? We have to do a lot of preparation and investigation before we can go. Yeah, it takes and a lot of energy, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, you know, um, when we travel, you know, of course we can't uh, cook all of our food and bring everything with us sometimes, right? I have actually assigned my children a responsibility of finding a restaurant. They don't have to find all the restaurants, but they can find one restaurant that they want to eat at. And um, they can like, you know, narrow it down and I'll do the phone call for them or they can call or something like that. But, but I think that that kind of opportunity gives them more responsibility. Yeah, I mean, you're creating street smarts in your kid and I love that. I, I think that's such a, food allergies aside, I think all parents should do that, right? So for me, my version of that, my kids aren't allergic to anything. When we used to go through airports, uh, we haven't been on a plane in a very long time at this yeah. point, but when we used to go through airports and travel, you know, we'd walk in, I'd say, okay, well, we've got to go through security. Where do we go? Go uh -huh. through security. Okay, well, we've got to go to gate B27. How do we get there? 
right? And I just stand there and wait for my kids to find all the things because at some point they're going to end up in an airport without me. That's right. Right. And mm-hmm. the same thing, at some point your kids are going to end up traveling without you. They need to be able to research and find and call and do the things. And I think that's an amazing parental yeah. Yeah. piece yeah. of advice. Right. Um, on advice, there's all sorts of food allergy moms out there who are new to this or who have never found their people or who haven't found the right pieces of advice. Um, given the, we've talked about misinformation a lot, you know, in this conversation, what advice would you give to a brand new food allergy mom who's just starting this journey? Uh, I would recommend that they um, get their information from the doctors and um, as best as they can, you know, because a lot of the doctors have written books and published them, right? And uh, so you can start with a book or you can start with like Allergic Living Magazine because, you know, Gwen Smith does a great job of vetting everything and, you know, she's brilliant. And so, you know, that's a really trusted resource. I think, I think you're totally right on. I think you just have to be careful of which doctors. Right? So you want to make sure that you're looking for a food allergy specialist, allergist or pediatrician. Absolutely. Um, because yeah. I think there's a lot of, particularly allergists and pediatricians out there who aren't necessarily focused on food allergies. Yes. And I mean, right. you know, one positive test and they'll have you avoid that food for the rest of your life, even though you've never reacted to it. Right. And it's, it's, That's right. it's crazy. Making. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, um, and so I think that, you know, that's part of our responsibility to advocate for ourselves is to really understand the science well and to, um, you know, look for the doctors that are board certified in allergy. And even among them, sometimes I know of, there are, there are some doctors that would do things that are, um, that have no evidence base. And so I think you always have to make sure that, you know, is this doctor sharing something that's evidence based? And how would I find out if it's evidence based? So there's like these medical journals that maybe are a little bit hard for people to read. But, you know, there's always try. a nice little synopsis at the beginning, right? Yeah. That's kind yeah. of it's, layperson-ish yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. of that's all right. the articles. Yeah. Um, and so, so there's also like the, there's a lot of uh, allergists that tweet um, on Twitter. Yeah. And that's actually a great resource. And I think Quad AI is coming up very soon. And they usually tweet out the latest research. And, and the doctors that do that are actually really, really good and very reputable. And so I think that that's a really great way to find some excellent resources following the Quad AI hashtag. And then the college has theirs in the fall at ACAAI. And so, um, you know, those are really great ways to find out reading their books, reading the articles in the magazines and um, in the journals. And those are really good resources. Perfect. And what about, so there's um, all sorts of information out there on social media. My favorite is when I see somebody who's posted a picture of their kid, like on Facebook, what do I do? (laughs) It's so sad. It's so sad. Don't ask your Facebook friends for medical advice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually a no. Let's not do that because, you know, most people online are, it's actually unethical for somebody to answer that question. And it's even unethical for a doctor or a nurse to answer that question because you, the, your child is not their patient. Right. So call your doctor, people. Call yeah. your doctor. 
Yes. So yes. going going back to your blog, what advice, staying on advice, what advice would you give to would-be bloggers? Somebody's got an idea, they see a need that's not being filled like you did. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? They should share it. They should, you know, jump they right should just, in. just jump right in because um, there's no harm in doing that, right? I think that um, they just have a, they just need to understand that they have a responsibility to share good information that's well vetted, well researched, and they need to make sure that they are, if they want us to go into this food allergy space or related medical types of spaces, they really, really need to have that responsibility to not give medical information, not give medical advice, but to always point their readers to their doctors, right? That's your first responsibility is to share good information that's well vetted, but also the final say is your doctor's say. So we can't, we just can't. Otherwise we lose credibility. I mean, once we say, start saying things like, you really should try this treatment or you should do this, or you, then we lose our credibility. And yet it is all over the place. Unfortunately, yeah, it does happen. So tell everybody how they can connect with you online. Um, well, you can always find me at um, on my blog, netfreewalk.com, and it's W-O-K, like the cooking can, not the W-A-L-K, like the netfree walk. <laughs> Right, because I mean that's also true too. But you should buy that yeah. domain too. Just yeah, right. <laughs> yes, and then um, my my social media handles are also Nut Free Walk, and um, uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Perfect. All right. Before we do tr- two truths and a lie, I need you to tell me the truth here. You ready? Okay. Can a non-cookie person like me make your recipes? Absolutely. Easy to follow. They're totally easy to follow. All right, I'm going to put one to the test, and I'm going to post about it. Okay, I I will. You'll have to tag me and let me see. (laughs) uh, I try to make my recipes, like, really easy and uh, really basic, and if it's hard, then I'll break down. And, uh, you know, always there's, like, a lot. I mean, I write a lot, and so there's going to be, like, oh, how do you substitute this? What technique should you use? What doesn't work? You know, so I, I kind of like share it all. And I, people say, um, I, I actually write for my kids because I want them to be able to cook their favorite foods. And so I write in everything that they need to know to make the, the recipe. That's amazing. And so if my kids can do it, I think anybody can. My Instant Pot and I are really, really good friends. And you have a recipe out there for carrot soup in the Instant Pot. So I think that's what I'm going to go after. Okay. All right. That sounds good. That's one of our favorites. So we shall see how that turns out. And anything that doesn't go well is 100% on me and 0% on you. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll just have to see. All right. As you know, I like to wrap all these episodes up with two truths. I can't even speak. Two truths and a lie. So listeners, we're not going to tell you which one is the lie. And Sharon's going to share with us two facts about herself and one, you know, not so factual fact about herself in any particular order. Sharon, take it away. All right, so I really thought really hard about this. Uh, and since I'm a food blocker, I'm gonna give you some food-related truths and lies, okay? All right. So um, my f- first one is that my favorite fruit to eat smells like garbage. <laughs> the second one is that eating a Carolina Reaper pepper is on my bucket list. 
a reaper pepper. Yeah, All Carolina right. reaper. Okay. And then number three is I make ugly pancakes. I love this list and I love themed lists. That's my favorite. When Dave Bloom was on with me, he had a heights themed list, which is a good one too. <laughs> I like the food theme and I'm really curious now what a Carolina Reaper pepper is. But thank you, Sharon, for being here with me. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation and uh, I think that this is awesome. Everybody go visit nutfreewalk.com. Not the kind that you use your feet, the kind that you use, you know, a cooking pan. And uh, Sharon, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun talking with you today, Shandy. Listeners, give us a follow or subscribe on any social media platform at Shandyland. Find us on your favorite podcast platform, which you obviously already did. And thank you so much for sticking around. We'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.